Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit. My name's Sean and Ronan's not here with us today. Normally it's him that takes up the reins when we're a bit slow in getting out episodes, but this time it's my turn. And he's not here specifically because he's been on holiday in Ireland celebrating his 40th birthday. So happy birthday, Ronan. So to help me, because I'm sure you don't want to hear me wittering along by myself, I have one of the two people that people actually seem to like on the game pit. And it's not Eleanor, it's actually Natalie this time. So welcome, Natalie. Hello, thanks for having me back on. It's always a pleasure. Welcome to the deepest, darkest pit. I do like what you've done with the place. The drapes are fascinating. Well, yeah, don't look at them too closely now. I won't. They'll send one mad, I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, and we've got a new logo, everybody. Natalie, have you seen our new logo? I have seen your new logo. It's a step up. I don't want to say too much about the old logo. You leave the old logo alone. That because was... I feel divorce might be in the offing. I worked very hard getting that bit of clip art. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, clip art got a thorough going over. No, I'll tell you what, I actually logo. did work very hard. Because the, the dice in the eyes, if you didn't look closely, that's what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be <laughs> dice. And they're yellow and green because obviously they're mine and Ronan's colours. And Natalie, you're involved in there because you're a greenie too. I'm a greenie, yeah. So, and uh, yeah, not being very adept at... Graphic Anything, design. really. I uh, I tried to get these two coloured dice into the eyes. My word, that took me a long time. Was it painful? It was painful. And one of the main reasons why it was painful was because I forgot to enlarge the picture. So I was trying to do everything like micro level. I feel like graphic design is not something that's in your future. It's nothing that I'm going to be moving into anytime soon. So luckily we had a, a friend of ours in America called Carrie who very kindly agreed to do something professional. She'd done so in the past. I asked her very nicely. So she did it for us. And I'm very happy with the results. It does look spiffing it does look spiffing little little skeleton climbing out of a pit love it love it but anyway that's our new logo so please have a little look at that and a little round of applause and a little dance if you if you feel so inclined but who isn't dancing when they're listening to this podcast dancing screaming running away crying (laughs) all, all of all of such things happen but we we're off on a little bit of a tangent there or rather i was off on about eight and I'm off on one Come again. back to us. Come back I'm to us. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Right. We're here to review some games because we haven't done so for a little while. Now, we have got plenty lined up for you in the next few weeks. Essen is looming around the corner. So we're getting very excited in the pit about that. Ronan has already started firing off emails to publishers. And he's doing a very good job on these pit stops. He's started to ramp them up as well. But we're going to talk about f- six games. And these six. are five games. I don't know I which don't know one I was leaving five. out. I don't know. Is the one on this particular list that you perhaps hate? You know what? There is not. Oh, well, maybe it's a Freudian slip. Maybe it was. Maybe Maybe. we'll learn that there's one that you hate. Oh, there we go. So, the first half of the show is going to be one children's game out and out, I would say, Natalie. Yeah. And the other two are very family-orientated yeah. games. So yeah. we're going to call the first half the family game section. So the second half is going to be more meaty games and uh, definitely one very meaty, thinky game. Yeah? Yeah. So, Natalie, what are your three games? Start with your one from the first half. Um, the one from the first half is Thanos Rising. Very good. Which Following sure. the footsteps of uh, the Avengers Infinity. Yeah, I'm sure it's, it's not going to come as a... Or- galloping shock that it's going to be about superheroes you did mention like a comic book supervillain in the title there thanos yeah well, i know i'm not completely dense stop rolling your eyes ah. it's disgusting um and then my other ones are blackwood 
which is in our more meteor section. Yeesh. No spoilers. <laughs> um, and then there's Anachrony. Yeah. Anachrony. That's that's our that's our big review. Of the that day. is our big review. So mine, I've got two in the first section. So we've got Stuff Fables from Plathead Games. We've also got Outfoxed coming from Game Right. And for my more meteor game, we've got Pioneers from Queen Games. So, shall we crack on? Let's do it. Okay, and as always, the Game Pit is a very proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download the episodes, we're on Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, and we are on Spotify now, because we're going up in the world. And don't forget our YouTube channel, where we have our pit stop videos and occasional convention coverage. Okay, so I'm going to start us off with Stuff Fables. It's a 2018 release for two to four players, designed by Jerry Hawthorne, and he did the Mice and Mystics and Tail Feathers, and this is very much in that sort of genre and the feeling of those games. It's from Plaid Hat Games, and it's a storytelling adventure game where players are going to become the cuddly toys, or stuffies, as they're called in the game, belonging to a little girl. And this little girl has been attacked by monsters from under the bed sent by an evil mastermind it's the role of us stuffies to defend our little girl and keep her safe and sound ready for the next morning so on the table in front of you you've got a bag of different colored dice you've got a storybook but that storybook doubles as the game board and you've got these little miniatures of the stuffies and the baddies that we're going to face during the game now gameplay you have scenarios and in each scenarios they basically represent a chapter from this story that we're working our way through in each game you're going to have your starting story your baddies your equipment and during the round you're going to draw five dice from the bag now the dice are different colors as i said Uh, white dice is going to give you more stuffing the black dice represents the baddies and it sort of gets them ready or gets them closer to moving red is usually attack yellow is usually search blue it gives you kind of unique actions and purple is like a wild card and sometimes when you're moving around this board or the book you're going to encounter barriers where certain colored dice are needed to cross sometime you're going to need certain colors to do group tasks and you're going to have to add those dice and each scenario is very different from the last a very quick overview there natalie Rona's not with us, so there's no 40-minute intros to these games. <laughs> Sorry, Rowley. And I'm going to start us off where I like to start these things off, Natalie. I know, I know. It is a beautifully crafted game, in my opinion. Yes. Yes. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I will say one thing. It is beautiful. The cards are perhaps not of the highest quality, considering the amount of handling you have yeah. of the actual player cards. We've had to, we've had to laminate ours. Yeah, that's your actual player mats. The player mats, the cards. Yeah, yeah. But the cards aren't great either. They're kind of linen finish, but the cheapy linen finish that catches a little bit and scuffs a little bit. But, but I mean, the, that's a minor quibble. Yeah, honestly. the player mats themselves weren't great, so we have laminated those. The minis are very, very good. I've seen loads of people painting them. They're detailed, but because they're stuffed animals, they're not overly detailed because there's only so much detailed on yeah. toys. So I think they're great to actually paint them. Me and our son James got plans to paint them in the near future. One thing I do really like about the game, Natalie, is that it's not all cutesy-cutesy art. The art is, is really, really good, but it's sinister. It's yeah. definitely got a sinister overtone to it. Absolutely, and I think 
think actually part of the the game when we first started playing it so you know at the beginning of the year just when it was released I was quite pleasantly surprised that actually the designer had gone as far as they had with regards to putting peril for the stuffies and you know they were in actual kind of danger it wasn't all sweetness and light that you know these some of these creatures are actually quite nasty looking like the mechanical spiders with the doll's head I mean, yeah. that freaks me out. Yeah, we'll try not to give away too many spoilers, but that one in particular, they're, they're the kind of general baddies, so you'll see them straight from the off, the little uh, spiders. I think they, they come from Toy Story, or they're yeah. very much influenced from Toy yeah, Story, yeah. That when uh, Woody goes into that the bad boy's room and, and, he's, the, and he's he rips all the yeah. toys apart and then he's got the little heads that crawl up to him. But I him. found that quite sinister, which was quite pleasing because I think adults sometimes have a tendency to think that their children or children in general can't handle it but actually yeah. they can handle oh, quite one, a bit more than we yeah, expect. there's one character and miniature that for sure that gives me the creeps. There's a little girl one and it looks really like the girl from The Ring, the film The Ring. Oh, yeah. The one that climbs <laughs> out the TV and scares the bejesus out of everyone. There's one of those in there like, and just looking at the miniature makes it gives me, oh, oh, I don't like that at all. But, I like the fact that that's there. It's not just a cute and fluffy, cuddly game to play with your kids. They, they're they actually thinking, you know what? There's some badness in this game. There's, these guys are out to get our little girl. Yeah, absolutely. Very I do good. Like and it. I think it matches. I think the art matches the game very well. Absolutely. It's, it's cutesy when it, it needs to be and it's sinister when it needs to be. I don't know whether you're going to touch on the, the actual book that you play on. Yeah, go on. What, what would you like to say about that? Well, I mean... I think that's fantastic. I, I love the fact that you have this kind of theatre of opening the book and, you know, you have your, your player mat and as you work through, you have a scenario that matches with the player board and it's it's very much a storytelling game. Yeah. And I, li- I like the theatre of it. And when we play with James, we kind of sit around the table as a family and we put on our storytelling voices and he kind of gets enraptured and he sits there with his head on his hands and he's like, oh, what's going to happen next, Daddy? And it's fantastic. I love that whole mm. theatre of having that book mm. instead of having interchangeable yeah, boards the... or tiles or any other kind of method that it's you could use. just the action of actually being able to open up the book just automatically gets your brain thinking story time. And you're not thinking, oh, actually, we're going to be playing a game here. You're thinking, right, the book's opening. What's the next story? And James wants to see the next picture and he wants to see what baddies are we're going to be facing. He's very much into him being the one that goes and does all the, the punching and kicking and yeah. scraging. Yeah. <laughs> scraging. I said scraging. I'm a, scraging. Oh, don't. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. You'll be saying bab before we know it. So we have a we have an ongoing argument <laughs> that scrage is not a word. Scrage it's is it's a very word. much a Midlands thing. They say it's not instead of a scratch or a graze, they meld the two together and call it a scrage. I have it and I will not entertain that that is not a word, it's just made up by mad people. It is a word. It For is a mad word. people. No, it's a word in, in these parts. Okay, anyway. Let's move. Moving swiftly on so these... before you go full on brumming. <laughs> James, James likes to scratch and graze. <laughs> and that's another thing I want to touch on is even when he was much younger, I think he would have been able to play this game mm. because you'd be able to guide him. 
I don't think, obviously, like, like a two-year-old is just going to try and eat the pieces and stick the dice up their nose. But I think from three, four onwards, you can very much sit the, the child down and guide them through it. Yeah, James is old enough now to, to work out his own moves and understand what all the dice do. But I think just the fact that you're rolling the dice, the child rolls the dice and you say, right, okay, your options here are you can go and attack the monster you can go and look for something you can go and interact with this you can go and interact with that you can talk to that person i think the fact that you can do that in this game means that it is open to a lot of ages that was actually going to be one of my questions is it is the age appropriate because i'm i can't remember off the top of my head what the age is on the box i think it might be eight plus i didn't or actually look when i was researching it so i think it's something like that because when we first got it for for us to play as a family i thought we were going to have to do a lot more tweaking yeah i think you'd have to lift the sinisterness of it yeah but i think you would do that naturally anyway yeah so i I do think that they could market it slightly lower as a lower age to be honest with you uh, yeah and i I think it is sort of family dependent and i think the the parents have to be quite sort of understanding that they're going to pretty much have to play the game for younger children i think and give them tiny choices i think for the first bit they will like we had to at the beginning with james Mm. because i think this is one of the really first kind of proper games he's played yeah insofar as the ones where he's having to actually make actual choices so the first couple of bits that we played through we were very much guiding him but now he kind of catched catched what kind of english is that he caught on quite quickly so now he's like right i'm gonna go and beat this person up okay well that would be quite nice because that person's on my team so please beat someone else up (laughs) he's very big on the beating up but those are his choices to make but you Mm. didn't have to work hard for him to get it no absolutely so i want to talk about probably the only negative for me i've kind of in the past been up and down about plaid hat games now one thing about plaid hat is they, they are quite fragile and they're fragile because they don't always, I think, fully explore rules and get things fully play tested, or it feels sometimes that way. Now, there are some times in this game where you will look at the rules and you just have to go with a general decision on what that rule should be because it's not always clear. And some of the levels, I think we've just played one where they're not fully realised and, and they're not as fun as others. What do you think? Agree. Again, I've got it down as one of my points. Oh, is there. Yeah. Great minds. My literal words here are the rule book, is it as clear as it should be? And I would think no. There are definitely a couple of scenarios that we've played through where the rules aren't entirely clear. The scenario isn't clear. So we're kind of wandering around in circles when I don't think that that was the intention of the scenario. And we've just had to kind of break it and go oh well we just need to move on now we've had to just take a common sense decision because there are some rules that haven't been clear enough it brings the quality of the game down now i recommend this game to most well, no let's not give away the no, gold no no i'm not i'm not going to give away yet. the gold i'm i'm kind of i'm tangent i'm i'm going to come back there's going to be no spoilers no spoilers a little bit of spoiler you said you've only got one negative I think the people at home... But is that negative enough to make me go, you know what, that was too irritating? Seriously, if rule books are your negative enough, you're not going to like any game. Rule books that's, are awful. No, 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 that's not right. That's not right. There are some fantastic rule books out there. They are few and far between. I would I would say 70% of rule books are trash. Mm. Maybe not trash, but of gradations of trash. Yeah, yeah, no, I think there's... You've got, you've got some excellent rule books, you've got some good rule books, and you've got some ones that, yeah, you know what, they could be better, but they're not irritating enough to make you want to 
tear your eyeballs out. We'll, we'll leave, we will leave that for Keeper, that one. Uh, <laughs> that one made me want to tear my head off. Can we bring it back? Oh, yeah, let's let's, let's back, circle yeah. back round to the point, of Go which on. I have many. What's your but point? this is a decent kind of family game, and I did recommend it to a friend of mine. He's kind of just getting into board games and he's got two kids and I thought it was fantastic and it was getting to the point where he was texting me asking me for rule clarifications yeah. because whilst he and his his family play games they're not as experiencing games mm. as we are and therefore if something doesn't make sense we can extrapolate from every other game yeah. that we've ever played whether he can't so I was getting a lot of rule clarification texts from him like and um, what does this do and what should I do here and you know, that is definitely a downfall of the game. I think sometimes they stretch themselves in terms of the when the more complex levels and the more complex scenarios. I think they didn't quite think them through or maybe they just got kind of a bit lost in the whole scenario book and maybe they didn't play test them or think about how they're going to work out when they're actually played by families at home who are sort of don't have that the mindset of the designer so sometimes you just kind of get lost and you kind of like, okay, you know what, well, let's just let's just pretend that happened and we'll move there and this happened and we'll get past this scenario. But they, they are few and far between. They are few Mostly and far between. they're quite simple, but they are quite entertaining. Is there anything you'd like to say before we sum up on this yeah, one? Yeah, I just had one more yeah. thing to kind of toss into the mix there. Are the stories much of a muchness? Um, I think I might be being slightly unfair because there's only so much you can do with some dice for a children's game but are there, I suppose I'm coming at other scenarios over long for the amount of game that there is what are your thoughts I, I don't think so because there's, an, there's the overarching story and you have to kind of cross over some ground more than once you're going to meet the same characters but I like that I like the familiarity that you see characters that you've met before and you and characters that you've heard about you get to meet and I kind of like it, it's just it's just the one story it's rife for expansions because you only yeah. really got to produce a book so I think I'd hoping that there's going to be a few more scenarios coming out for this one but for, for the moment the storyline that we're on and we're quite a ways into it we're not finished yeah, yet we're not but the storyline we're on is is entertaining enough for me and it holds enough water fair enough okay would you like to sum up on stuffed fables natalie oh that's a bit of a responsibility i can't read your it. mind Get on with um it. stuffed fables is a fantastic family game it really is it's engaging it really leads your children to think about choices that they can make for themselves the production is fantastic yeah the rule book's a bit manky but as we've already heard my opinion is most rule books are manky so i don't let that stop me i, I like this game it gives me warm fuzzies on the inside i enjoy playing it with our son I enjoy watching his mind work. That's fun for me as well. Yes, yeah, this is a solid choice, and I would actually recommend if you've got a family, give it a whirl. Cool. Right, for me, I think this game is what you make of it. I think what Plaid Hat Games have done is provide you with a framework of a game, and they've provided you with your, your characters and, and, and a bit of storyline, but the game in itself is what you decide to make of it. If you want to just rush through, game it, this would be a terrible game. If you just say, right, the optimum move is this, the optimum move is this, the optimum move is that. Let's get through, right, next page, and do that. And that, and that would be terrible. There would be nothing to this game. There is nothing to it in terms of the actual gameplay. When you start adding the fluff, the beautiful artwork, the storyline, the characters, the progression of those characters and, the, and how their storyline arcs, 
then that's where it comes into its own. And then the, within our family, even, we've all taken up roles. I love to be the storyteller. I'll always start the scenario off and I'll put voices on and try and really sort of bring James into the fold. I might get a bit miffed every now and again when I see him staring at the ceiling. They might be all right. Are you? Are we playing this or are we looking at the floor? He is six. He's he probably six, just yeah. contemplating the rocks he's picked up being dinosaur eggs or something. <laughs> again. <laughs> Yeah, I very much got my part of Natalie likes to get everything ready for everyone to make it as seamless so there's not lots of rooting around for cards and tokens and what have you. She likes to have everything ready. And James is the punch-in-the-face person. He will go around and punch everything he sees, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent. He does like rolling them red dice. <laughs> he does like those. So, And as I touched on before, I think, I think Flat Hat, sometimes make games that are fragile and we talked about that with dead of winter dead of winter is one of my favorite games when it works sometimes it doesn't work but with this one i think that fragility it can be negated by just yourself you come up with the the house rules that matter to you you play the game how you want to play it and when you do find that correct way for you to play this game. I think it's a magical experience. It has that sinister feel to it to make you want to come back and really want to save the little girl and really want the stuffies to do well. And it's a game that we've all enjoyed thoroughly playing. So a big thumbs up for Stuffed Fables. Now, Natalie's going to talk about a mad purple alien. As I often do. Indeed. You can't shut me up about Mad Purple Aliens. The Mad Purple Alien in question, if you've been living under a rock, is Thanos, which I learned is a big bad guy, mummy from James. So this is Thanos Rising. It was published in 2018 by USAopoly, who have done other games such as Clue and Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. And the designer is Andrew Wolfe. It's for two to four players for ages 10 and over, and the advertised playtime is 40 minutes. So... I'm sure you can come as a galloping shock to absolutely nobody that the players are playing to cooperatively defeat Thanos and his minions. And to do this, they take one of the four teams, which are headed by Doctor Strange, Gamora, Captain America and Black Panther. It's a beautiful looking game. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to that. Okay, maybe not beautiful. It has presence, and the game board is in two parts. One part is Thanos is in the middle of a, a circle divided into three sections around which sit three cards laid out in each section. These cards are the heroes and the villains that you'll either be trying to defeat or gain for your own tableau. And the direction in which he's facing is important to the gameplay. The second part of the game board is a depiction of the Infinity Gauntlet, and there are little gems to denote the Infinity Stones. Through various actions in the game, Thanos will be trying to collect the Infinity Stones, and we need to stop him from doing so if Thanos either collects all six infinity stones or kills 10 heroes he wins and the game does this by having you roll two dice on his behalf and one shows if Thanos moves or if the current villains laid on the table act and these may not only damage the heroes available for you to get but they can also damage the ones in your tableau so you've got to be careful about monitoring that the other dice that Thanos you roll on Thanos's behalf adds a counter onto an infinity stone and if there are enough counters at the end of the round the infinity stone is gained and he gets a permanent power which will hit you every time you roll that color the heroes need to kill seven villains for the easy game or ten villains for the harder game and we do that by using various dice to roll various symbols to match either the heroes that we want to get which will give us additional powers or hit the villains yeah that's it it's a it's quite a simple game to play have I missed anything no, I think you've got, got most of it there. I think it is a very simple game to learn and play. Now, I'll take you to task a little bit. 
<sighs> you kind of caught yourself a little bit. You said it has presence. Yeah. Now, presence, yes. Definitely has presence. Is it a beautiful game? Well, they've not really done much to for themselves, have they? Because it's all photographs of yeah. the, the characters from Avengers, etc., and Captain America, Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange, etc. Right? The bits of artwork that they have done, and they've made that little thing in the middle that you pull the cards around, and Thanos sits in the middle. We're coming back to Thanos. And oh, they've God. made the Infinity Gauntlet. And the Infinity Gauntlet looks nice when you start putting the gems in. It's all, that's fine. But the Thanos statue, it has to be the most overproduced <laughs> component like I've ever seen in I've... any game ever. I've even defined a little term for the statue. It's not a miniature, it's a maxature. Mini? Max? He's now staring at me like he's just going to file for divorce, just to let you lovely listeners I've know. Al- I've always got a paper that just needs a signature. I'll tell you what, I'm <laughs> printing as we speak. <laughs> Shall I get you a pen, dear heart? Get me a pen, get me a nice pen. <laughs> Come on, maxature. Come on, you'll be no, that'll be in terrible. your lexicon. No, that's fantastic. That's terrible. That's awesome. No. Anyway, the Thanos blob in the middle of the table. It looks like he really looks fantastic as as a toy or something, or on your mantelpiece as an ornament it would look amazing but as a, as a game please it's quite unwieldy because if you try and spin Thanos and you don't hold down the board he takes half the board with him most of the time the cards end up going halfway across the table so you have to lift him out and then turn him yeah it's fine I, I, I just quite like the physicality of it it is functional we'll give it that but I think it's just overproduced and the game didn't need it but okay. other, other than that it's not a massively striking game I don't think the game needed it but and I'm probably going to be a little bit mean here because it is such a simple game what does it hurt to overproduce a little bit of it like it just gives it something a little bit what else would you do just like a little cardboard piece to go around yeah but anyway anyway Moving on. Not really a lot of things that you can do. It's a dice game. Well, we all know your luck with dice. Yeah, so everything you do in this game, in terms of Thanos' moves, what Infinity Stone he's going to influence and try to gain, to your own moves trying to either harm the villains and defeat the villains and recruit people into your own team, are all very much dice-based. Now, as you get into the game, you get a little bit more control over that, but I think we've found that, especially early on, it really is in the lap of the gods, and there's Mm. no strategy or anything you can do that really makes much difference. Yeah, it is is entirely luck-driven. However... You say that, but I think there is a small amount of strategy. Like, if there are certain villains in the same section as other villains, like, you don't want to let Obsidian Cull anywhere near Proxima Midnight, otherwise that is an embarrassingly short game. Is that that's the one. found out that from, from experience? That's the we? one. Yeah, we did. We did a little bit where we absolutely got walloped. We, we got, got mauled. Ma- oh, it was, it, it was blood, sweat and tears. It was awful. I learned from our mistakes. Ten heroes dead to one villain dead. Oh, man, it was painful. And at the end, our son said, oh, I didn't like that one. That was boring. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't wrong, but... We did get a slap in. We did. We did. There's not much else going on in the game, is there, Natalie? No, it's not. It's not a particularly deep game. I mean, our six-year-old plays it with no problem, even though the advertised age is 10+. plus. I think I find it fun because he finds it fun. He he gets excited when he gets Black Panther and Shuri and the Black Panther jet or whatever it's called. No, I'm just going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna tee you up because it's, it's one of the things you were giving out stink about yeah. during the game. Yeah. 
Now, that on the box, it says this is a 40-minute game. Oh, my God. So, no. they got it right. Yeah, they're spot on with that. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. 40 minutes in what world? What time warp are they currently living through that this is a 40-minute game? The only way this is a 40-minute game is if you get Obsidian Cull and Prox Midnight in the same section and, like idiots, you don't attack them. That's the only time it's anywhere close to a 40-minute game. Who would time. do such a silly thing? I don't know. Do you know anyone? No. <laughs> No, this this is at least an hour, at least an hour, if not an hour and twenty. Yeah, like easily. Yeah, it there does. is no way this is a forty minute. It does go on a little bit. So to be honest, I think I've had me a lot of rant. I've I've made me point about the Thanos creature in the middle. Well, creature. Creature. The, well, I mean you're, the Thanos, you're right. The Thanos ornament. <laughs> In in the middle of the. You're table. not sticking a ribbon on it and putting it on that Christmas tree. Is that, is that finished printing yet? Yeah. That, that divorce document. It's Thanos or Homer Simpson. Every year, people. See, you're just getting a window into our lives here. Every day, <laughs> I'm going to have to stop and have a little rant because of the mean things she does to me. Every year, <laughs> I say to you, you put whatever you want up on that tree. I've got one ornament that I like to go up there. <gasps> the lies. What about the Tottenham Hotspur one? Yeah, but that's a given. James likes that as well. So I've got a little Homer on a little bit of string and he's all tangled up in light bulbs and it's hilarious and we all laugh and I like to have him on the tree I've had him a long time and I always say to Natalie just just please make sure that one goes up now that's not a lie no, I always do specifically lie. say do. can you make, home, make sure Homer goes yeah. up every single year I will investigate that tree and go where's Homer oh yeah that is such a lie oh my oh my so we're just flat out lying now you're going to sit here and tell Homer places. doesn't disappear from that tree. Last year, yes, I hold my hands up and say that Homer probably wasn't on the tree. But I was sick. I was pregnant. I was vomiting everywhere. You were lucky there was a tree at all. The year before, yeah. he fell off and you put him back in the box. No, 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 no. Yeah, he yeah. was up there. Sometimes, sometimes he has to get tucked. To allow him to breathe. It's not my fault you can't find things. Well, we're having a proper domestic on a podcast. <laughs> Let's not, move on. That's not not the best radio. Okay, so where are we? I have another minor quibble. Go on in. And this is really minor. I'm really uh, sorry. But for some reason, I don't know how they've banded the heroes together. So for some reason, Thor is bundled in with Doctor Strange. Which I find really odd, but my my knowledge of the my knowledge of Marvel Universe begins and ends with the films. I think Are we because thinking... Doctor Strange's team and the faction that Doctor Strange leads is quite small, and you kind of have to crowbar Thor in. You've got a bit of mysticism and magic going on with Thor. He's he's got his own pretty much magic powers. He can make thunder appear and lightning appear and. Yeah, it's the gods, I suppose. I think they had to chuck in Asgard because Doctor Strange would be quite weak. All right, I'm not going to let him off, but it still grinds my gears. Okay, well, I'm going to sum up. Sum up. So, it may seem I don't like this game because I've quibbled about the ornament <laughs> in the middle. I've quibbled about... Well, I've egged out Natalie on quibbling about the length of time it takes... I've quibbled saying that, you know what, there's there's no real control over this game because it's luck-based, dice-based, but I really enjoy it. It 
it is so much fun putting a team together. Like at the end of every game that we play, me and James will get like you get your cards together, and I'll get my cards together. And let's see who was on our team. And uh, and I'm like, I got the Hulk, and he'd go, but Daddy, I got the Hulk Buster. And then we're like, we're comparing teams. Who would win in a fight between our my and team and your team? He's always got Black Panther. He has to have Black Panther. If he doesn't have Black Panther, there is legitimate, yeah, legitimate the, the, tears. The time that I took the Black Panther ship. Honestly, uh, I thought actual tears. Actual tears. But anyway, so I really enjoy putting the team together. I love a dice roller anyway. And it is exciting when you're trying to go for something and it's that Yahtzee rolling mechanic. You roll and you save one, you roll, you save another one. There are ways to mitigate towards the end. It makes it a little bit more controlled and a little bit more fun as the game goes on. It might be a bit too long sometimes, but Natalie... I thoroughly enjoy playing Thanos Rising. I do. I do enjoy I will say, however, I think it's mainly because James gets so much enjoyment out of it. I don't know that I would pick it up. I would play with adults. Would you? I would take it to Ireland's house and play with him and the girls and no problem and I would enjoy myself. Oh, fair place. I don't know that I would. But I'm a comic book fan. You are. That was... Thanos Rising. So, the last game for this section is very much the game that I talked about being very much a children's game. It's Outfox 2014 release, two to four players, coming from Game Right and designed by Shannon Lyon and Marissa Pena. I did have a look, quick look, and they haven't done anything of like massive note. So, in Outfox, Mrs. Plumpet's prize pie has gone missing and it's definitely been taken by one of those pesky foxes we are detectives or some such and we're going to try and find out which of the lineup of foxes have stolen the pie and we're going to try and do it before the fox makes it to his or her foxhole and into safety so on the table you've got a board showing big grid and you've also got a path for the fox character to follow down towards their foxhole you've got areas for clues where if you make it to that area you get to check out a clue and you've got cards surrounding the board which depict the suspects the various suspects they are mostly turned face down at the beginning of the game and one of your tasks as you go on is to choose whether to go for a clue or go for a suspect what you have is you have three dice and you get to roll up to three times and you're going to put dice aside if you wish if all of the dice show the desired result over those three rolls then you're going to be able to take your turn so when you're doing a clue you're going to take a clue piece place it into a special machine or a little little bit of plastic really that has the culprit in it and the back of the culprit has these little green dots on the box and when you slide this plastic round you can see after placing the clue on whether that clue is on or owned by the culprit so then you know that the fox has a pearl necklace or the fox has an umbrella that's that's actually done the deed. If you are going for suspects, then you simply turn two suspects face up so you can get a look at more suspects. You progress that way and you discard any suspects. So if you find out the culprit does not have a, an umbrella, very much in like the Guess Who game, you're going to discard all the foxes with umbrellas. If you find a does have a monocle you're going to make sure you keep all the foxes with monocles if you don't manage to do the dice roll then the fox is going to move depending on how hard you want to make it uh, up to five spaces the fox can move towards the foxhole and the game ends when you guess if you're right the players win 
If you're wrong, the fox wins and he gets to the foxhole. Or if the fox makes it to the foxhole before you have made that guess, which would be a bit silly happening in front of you. So why would you let him get... Yeah, I think we have, though. We haven't. We've guessed and we've guessed wrong. They guessed and guessed wrong, that's fine. But when when the fox gets close to the foxhole... You and you know the next turn that you don't get the dice you want, that he's going to get in the foxhole. You've got to make a, a guess, even if you have nothing to go on, just say, yeah, hey, it was Terry. What are your initial thoughts? I'll let you start on this one, Natalie, Thank on you. Outfoxed. Um, I think as an intro to gaming for a family, it's a lot of fun. It's a it's a firm favourite for our son. He does like It's one of his first ones to pick out at the moment. It's not designed for me. It, it really isn't. I don't think it's necessarily designed for a game as it is very much a children's game. It's pitched perfectly. It's an introduction to deduction. You know, again, there's that kind of physicality of how you discover the clues with the little plastic plastic doodah. Can I just put in there, I think it is the next step to guess who? So guess who, I think everyone knows what I'm talking about, where you've got the rows of faces and somebody says that they have glasses and they say yes or no and you, if they say no, then you flip down all the people with glasses and you leave everyone who hasn't got glasses up and then you deduce who is the person that that person is trying to yep. talk about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And it's very much a step up. You've got a spatial aspect where you're trying to move around the board and it's slightly a bit more difficult. I think it's it's guess who gamified yeah. with the rolling of the dice and where do I go next and do I want a clue or do I want to have a look at, try and find some suspects. I don't know whether it's because I feel like we've played it roughly a hundred times, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have a question over its replayability. But again, that's just nitpicking from my point of view because it said, isn't designed for me. Exactly. It's not aimed at you. So if something's not aimed at you, then the playability for you is not... An issue. No, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's proper nitpicking. James loves it. He well, loves it. Yeah. It's one of his favourites to pull out. Yeah. And when we go away, he'll take a couple of his games. And normally, one of the games he takes is outfoxed because, you know, he enjoys it so yeah, much. he does. It's a very good children's game. I find. I'd say one thing, it's too easy, I think. I don't think there's enough things on the foxes. Uh, there's only like, each fox has items. only got two or three items, yeah. a thing with that item on. And we very rarely lost. It's only when the dice have just gone haywire on us that we've mm. lost. Even with your dice rolling. Even with my dice rolling. Uh, so I find even for James's age group, He's six now, so I think even for him, he's starting to get a little bit too easy, and he's winning sort of nine out of ten, eight out of ten times, but he still comes back to it, so I only applaud it for keeping his attention, and he thoroughly enjoys it. Looking at the the artwork, I think it's quite quirky, cartoony, but I think it's good. The iconography is clear. There's nothing that would stump you in this game, even the rule book. It's all very well laid out, very clearly laid out. I quite like game rights. I think, I think they make very solid games. The games make sense, and I like their, their art style. Their components are always pretty strong as well. It's more of a recap than a summer. I think Outfox for me is a, a game very much for my son. The first two or three games, I, I, I actually enjoyed. 
I admit I enjoyed playing them. It was an interesting experience watching my son sort of learn that Yahtzee mechanic. And he could then apply it to things like Thanos Rising, which he played later. So he'd already got that in his head, this Yahtzee mechanic. So roll, roll those dice. And we've played a game today. King of Tokyo. Which, yeah, King of Tokyo, where we've gone to a game cafe today. And again, he's got that because of Outfoxed. He understands that mechanic. And he already understood the deduction side from playing Guess Who, because he had like the Guess Who Junior when he was like three. So it is a progression. I'm finished with it. I'll play with him because I love him and he's my son, but I wouldn't like to play it in any other circumstances, I think. But I think it's a nice family, clever in its own way, engaging game for a young child. Agreed. Zay, that's your your sum up. (laughs) My sum up. Um, No, I I mean, there's not not anything I can really add to that. It's absolutely designed for children, a very good solid game for children. I enjoy playing it because my son enjoys playing it. I think he's probably almost done with it now that he's moved on to things like Thanos Rising. But yeah, if you've got Litlands, do it. Get Very the game. good. Right, so that's the family side of the of the show over. Join us in part two, when we'll be tackling some meteor games. Next up in our maybe meteor section is one of my games blackwood it was published in 2017 by runes editions who have also published linda's farm the designer is philippe tapimoke this game is for two to four players ages 10 plus with a playtime of 45 to 60 minutes so in blackwood you're a witch with three minions that you will send out into the forest to gather ingredients to make potions to either sell or turn into spells you'll receive a number of reputation points for each potion you make and the witch obviously with the most reputation points at the end is the winner So the way you do this is have a playing tableau in front of you that is made up of cards called forest cards. They contain a number of ingredients needed to make potions and the cost for the card. They are in rows of three, four or five, depending on the number of players, and you have five columns. Um, In a round, you will place one of your minions, or marionette as they're called in the game, on one of the cards in the square. And if it's that column's turn to be resolved, you will receive your card and pay your money. You will then have an opportunity to make a potion should you have the right ingredients. You can either turn your potions into spells that will help you with your ingredient collection and potion making, or you can sell them, but this will decrease the number of reputation points you receive for those potions at the end of the game. And that is pretty much it. Hmm. So I think I'm not going to start immediately on the looks of the game. I was going to. Who are you? Okay. Well, I am not one to be deferred from going straight to the looks of a game. (laughs) Why change the habit of a lifetime? Exactly. Okay. I love the artwork itself. It fits the theme of the game. However, it's a very dark game. Even the greens of the forest are dark. There's a lot of shadow. The things that you're collecting are quite dark. So sometimes it happens that you miss ingredients on cards because you just don't see them. I think it's the bats, or they, they can, they're very dark and the background's very dark and you do miss them. Sometimes you're looking, right, what do I want to go for next? And then somebody goes on a card that you've had the opportunity to go on and then you, then you realise, oh no, there was actually two more components there, ingredients there that, that I saw. So that was that was my main quibble with this one. It was almost too dark. Yeah, I've got the same sort of thoughts. I did like the artwork. It 
was nice. I'd, and I don't think it was just limited to the ingredients. To be honest with you, you make your potions and then you flip the potion cards and one side is if you keep your potion and one side is if you sell your potion and there's not enough difference between the two for me. Yeah. It's literally just a change in the number of reputation points mm. and I think it should be more obvious. Yeah. It's the same colour, it's the same picture. Yeah, it's just literally the... The number. So if you don't orientate the card the right way or flip it the right way, then you could be losing points or getting points yeah. depending on how how you work it. Yeah, there were some graphical design choices that well, that weren't the best here, but the artwork itself it lo- it looks really nice. My another issue, and it's I like games to stand out on the shelf. So I'm thinking about Blackwood now. I'm thinking about one of our local game shops somewhere, and this big row of games on many many shelves with games surrounding them, sort of like a thousand games. Are you going to spot that one from even, I'd say, three foot away? Are you going to Are you going to spot, oh, what's that? You're not. And because it's so dark and the artwork doesn't stand out enough on the, on the box for me to pick this one up, it's by a small publisher. It's not the most well-known game, so people aren't going to go in there seeking it out. So this game has to stand out. And I don't, little spoiler alert, I don't think it stands out enough from the crowd in any aspect. Mm. And as I've been beating up on rule books, I'm going to continue. Go on, and you, oh, you yeah. learned this one, so I can't really oh, comment. Oh, man. Like, see, just simple things. There was a question over when you made a potion, do the potions refill? And I had a look because I was like, maybe I've misread it. I'm notorious for skim reading and not picking up details. So I went back to that rule book a couple of times and I couldn't find it. And it was only when we watched a a review on YouTube of this game that actually, yes, the potions do replenish as soon as you've bought one. And the only reason that person knew, we kind of got the feeling, is because he actually helped playtest it and he was part of the team that... That designed it. Not not designed it, but he was friends with the designer, so he would know. And I think when, you know, when the rulebook misses out a crucial rule or, you know, a crucial setup question, then that's frustrating. Mm. And you're already on a back foot and you're already like, really? That's my issue with rulebooks as a whole. I tend to forgive smaller publishers a little bit more than I do sort of the bigger publishers and people who've been doing this for a long time. Now I could be doing these guys a disservice. Maybe they've been making games in France for the last 30 years. But I haven't heard of them before and they're certainly a new team to me. So I kind of give them a little bit of a pass on, on the rule book issue. Whereas I'm just mean. You are mean. You're a mean and cruel person. I used to work in the editorial business. That stuff just wouldn't fly. <laughs> Seriously. Now, um, there is an actual rule that was correctly stated that I actually thought, that can't be right. And it irritated me. Which one's that? That one is, in a two-player game, Yep. you only get one copy of each spell. Yes. So, in the two-player game, if a person takes a spell, then nobody else has access to that spell. And they're the only person that gets that spell. And there are two super-powered spells. That yes, there are. Work in tandem with each other and make it very, very, very likely that that person's going to win. Yeah. And having one copy of those, and if the other person just can't get to the components quick enough, it's difficult to stop them. So 
I would like to have seen, even just for just parity, the access to more of the same type of spell or more more spells. There's only like five or six spells in the game. And when they're gone, I think the game... It kind of trundles, doesn't it? It kind of trundles. It? You've got nothing to aim for anymore and you're just, you're just looking for the highest point scores. So we've played it a fair few times now and one of them definitely once we you know kind of get into the rhythm and learn the game we are then hitting that point where we've got the spells earlier and earlier so we're having a whole round where we're just you know there's nothing to aim for other than trying to get the potions you're not getting spells i wrote my notes about this and actually as i do i've been thinking more and more about it between when i wrote my notes and sitting down to do the podcast And this has not done the game any favours. Because the more I think about it, the less charitable I'm inclined to be. I think you've been a little bit mean. No, I'm just You're just nicer than I am. No, but I'm just so meh about this game. I think there are very good aspects. I like the the blocking and the columns and the rows and that you can mess with people and you can plan for the future. But there's not enough going on. You've got one, maybe two marionettes, three maybe if you really push it on the board at one time. But normally it's just one marionette on the board. But that's you're only getting three marionettes on the board if you are willing to sacrifice picking up any ingredients for the first two turns that you have. Yeah. Or if you get the thing that allows you to put two at once. Yeah, but again, that's spells. just one copy of the spell. Yeah. You, one person, one can, person do that, can do and that. And they can do it once per round. So... Yeah, so normally you will have one marionette out, you'll collect the stuff that you want to collect, and that's all you do in a turn. And you do that five times, and it gets a bit repetitive, and it gets a bit monotonous, and yes, there are things you can do. You can move to another column, and if somebody takes the card next to that one, the column slides, and then all of a sudden you're taking your go, and you're getting the thing that you wanted, but... uh, and you can be a little bit clever. All right, that person's definitely going to want to go there because they need that component. So if I put mine here, then that'll slide and I'll be able to get a better card that's not available in that column. But that's kind of the limit of the planning and cleverness of the of of the planning. There's not that much else going on around. No, there it's isn't. also a very tight game in terms of money. Money is very hard to come by. Yes, it is. And there is a mechanism by which you can go and get a loan. And you don't repay the loan, you just take a five-point hit. Which I think which, is quite harsh. That's harsh, for a start. I think it should have been a three-point hit, maybe. Well, I think not having the option to take to, to pay it back in the first instance is a bit manky. In any case, we've both taken loans. So what's the point? Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like we play, we you know, we've, we've as I say, we've played a few times and a couple of times. We've both taken loans. It's, we've not played a game where I've taken a loan and Sean hasn't, or vice versa. We've both taken a loan, so what's you pretty the much point? always need a loan. It's just whether if if the first person takes a loan because it, it, there's not a lot of points difference when it when it all gets summed up at the end. If one person takes a loan in the two player game, the other person thinks well, you know well, that's that's free money, so you you might as well. Yeah. yeah, and then you just you just sort of keep that parity. Now we've only we've only played it once three player. We've not played it four player yet, and three player game alleviated that a little bit, but it was still very much that sort of follow the leader. If one person takes a loan, generally you all needed a loan at that stage. 
I'm going to be really blunt. I ain't playing this game again. You're very harsh on it. Yeah, do you know? I just, maybe it's because I picked it up at Essen. I was like, oh, this looks like a nice, fun game. I think I'm going to enjoy this. And there's nothing really to it for me. And I don't know whether I'm just picking up games that are now not complex enough for me because I do like my Euro games. I do like my Thinky games. So for me, there is a lot of good and it's just let down by, by small issues for the on this game. It's a small publisher they're trying to make a break into obviously the the gaming world they've got good components they've got good artwork they just need to think about the playability of those components of that artwork i liked the idea of placing in the columns and the columns been movable and planning for the future they needed to just maybe go an extra step and like if you maybe had two or three marionettes per round that you could put out instead of per turn that you could put out and then sort of fill up the board and have a few more spaces available and have a little bit more variety in the cards. It was all they're all very much the same. That's that added to the confusion and not being able to pick cards out as as easy as you probably should do. The theming of the game and the feel of the game I really liked. I really liked the fact that you were these witches and you were sending out these little minions into the forest to collect the, the stuff to make your potions and then the artwork for them making the potions was really cool. And then you were going to be able to make these super spells. There wasn't enough spells. The potions weren't different enough. The things you were collecting weren't different enough. There wasn't enough going on in each individual area of this game. And on top of that, it just doesn't stand out from the crowd. It is a quick card game. I think it probably would be at its best with four players. And we we didn't actually manage to play it with four players. So that may be something that we've missed out on. Maybe. But when it boils down to it, it's a forgettable game. It's it's a game that I I don't particularly want to play again. I would if somebody said I really want to play that. I'd give it a go. But, and I say that a lot, but it's just one of those go-to things that you have to say. Like, there's no other way of saying that. Not in my limited vocabulary. It's a game that I'll play if I have to. But... It's going to go out of our collection. Yep. We're going to trade it on. We yep. have traded it. I just yep. need to post it. <laughs> Can you get on that, please? Because that's okay, my trade. No, we'll get and on I think that. I get something fun instead you get of it. Turn and taxis. I like that game. Which you do like. No, I do. I, I like I, it too. I tell you, I, I like you a dry. 2017 episode. Oh, I do like a dry euro. You do. You do. Oh, I like a dry so, euro. So, very final thoughts, Natalie. I think you've told us pretty much what you yeah, think. Yeah, I'm not. Do you know what? There are so many good games out there and there are so many games that I just don't get to play. I've got two kids, you know, himself works away from home a lot. I don't get a lot of time to play games. So I almost, <laughs> this is me being really horrid. I can't be having my time taken up with a, a game that really doesn't add anything to me, to be honest. Right. Okay. Moving on from Meanie McMean Pants. <laughs> so the second game in the second half and our penultimate game is Pioneers. This is a 2017 release. came out in Essen last year and we did do a preview of one of our Essen treasure hunts for this one. So I was very eager to try it out. Two to four players from Queen Games and it's designed by Emmanuel Ornella and Emmanuel did Hermagor and Assyria in the past. The theme about this one is you're wagoning across America discovering and populating cities. On the table, you have a player board where it shows you how you're going to collect your income, what you get, your purchase options, and then your turn options. You have player wagons, and they have 
your coloured meeples, which represent your pioneers, and they're placed directly on pictures of different pioneer characters. These characters directly link to the board, and on the board you have cities across a map of America with wagon trails connecting them all up. It's very much Ticket to Ride style. If you can just imagine one track space between all of them, that's, that's pretty much what you've got. Each city, and I mentioned these pioneer characters, has one of these characters drawn randomly and placed over it and they are available to you the gameplay on a turn you're going to collect your income then you get to choose between buying road pieces and buying more additional wagons which to place your pioneers and and each wagon will have different sort of collections of the available characters on which to place your pioneers then you go on to actually interacting with the board so what you're going to do is move a wagon marker and this is independent all players use the same wagon marker until it meets a space with a pioneer character token still in it when moving you pay money to the bank or other players to move over their spaces or it's free if you own the road yourself then you take your pioneer meeple off your wagon from the matching pioneer character picture and place it on the board. And you get to activate the special power of the pioneer that you use. Then players are going to get to follow you. And the only difference is they got to pay you $2 to do so. And they do not get the special power of the pioneer. So I've mentioned pioneers. You've got various powers that they do. Banco is going to increase your income. The merchant is going to allow you an extra purchase. So whereas when you start, you can just purchase either one rail or two rails or a wagon. Merchant's going to allow you to do two of those. If you get a second merchant in, you can do all three of those. You have a sergeant who's going to allow you to place additional road pieces onto the board. A gold digger is going to you're going to pick up a random gold nugget and they're going to have victory points on the back of them. You have a farmer which allows you to place multiple at the same time of your pioneer meeples. So if you have three wagons each with a farmer on it, when you pick that farmer, you can place all three of them down on the one space. You have a hotel which is going to give you a bit of money and allows you to put any of your pioneers down there. And you have a little barkeep who basically allows you to place him on the board and then chuck away one of your other meeples. Why are you chucking away? Because one of the ways to score in this game is by emptying your wagons. And when you empty your wagons, you score the points for it. At the end, you're going to look at your gold nuggets to see how much you've got there. And you're all going to count up your longest continuous line of, of wagon track or road. And you're going to basically count the amount of your meeples that are on your longest road and you're going to score the points for that and that pretty much is pioneers natalie i think we have differing thoughts on this game do we i think we do do we let's find well, out let's let's go ahead let's and find, find out, out. So, Pioneers, Natalie, what are your initial thoughts? It's a queen game. Why is it a queen game? It's a queen game. It's bold, it's brassy, it looks like a queen game, it's very yellow, um, there are lots of cardboard bits. Yeah, it's a queen game. It doesn't do anything other than I expect a queen game to do. I don't think it's overly complex, which is not to say it's not enjoyable. I quite like the puzzle aspect of it. Yeah, it's a queen game. I think it's a game that's almost greater than the sum of its parts. Now, the reason I say that is there are very 
few options in this game. You literally collect your money. You can buy some stuff. Rail. I keep saying rails because I want to say rails because it just looks like a rails game. And it's those like railways of the world and railroad revolution. It feel. I just keep saying. want to say it's track. Nice track. It's, it's, road. it's road. It's road. It's road. So you can buy roads to place down, and then you own that road. You can buy another wagon, but that's all part of the buy action. So you can buy another wagon to get be able to put more of your meeples onto the board. And then your action is basically to move the player wagon that everybody uses along a track, take the token off the board, use its special power, then it's the next person's go. That's literally all you're doing. Yeah, but I like it. Do you? I do. You've been very underwhelmed. When we've I mean, I've this. been underwhelmed, but again, I've done that thing where I've written my notes for my research and I've been thinking about it a little bit more. I might have been a little bit too mean. Who are you? Well, and I'll tell what you, you why, because there was something that happened in one of the games that we played of this and I'd backed myself into a corner, right? Yes. So I basically didn't have any farmers and I was stuck in a corner where there were farmers and I didn't have enough money to buy a coach. But what I did have was rail, rail. See what you've done. See, see, see what it, you've it, done. It just feels like rail, doesn't it? it track. Just, not even track. Not even track. Road. Road. But I had I had the necessary road that I could kind of go back on myself and do this huge loop-de-loop to get myself back round. I'm thinking about that, and I think that that's quite interesting. If you can do that on purpose to another player, that'd be quite funny. So this is that was exactly what I was about to say to you. You didn't back yourself into that corner... I put you in that corner. I oh, moved, yeah, the you moved the wagon into that area, knowing full well that you would have to traverse over all the road that I just built, pay me a load of money for, for, tra- for traversing it, deplete your own funds, make it harder for you to do stuff in the future. And that is one of the things I love about this game, is you can put people down little blind alleys and you can make them pay through the nose to get out of places. Well I, well, I thought I'd done it myself because I got rid of my farmer through the... I, I remember it. I remember getting rid of the farmer through the bar in keep action. You've because I only had one farmer. I know. Keep action. And I, I think it was because it was what it was the it was the first game we played of it where I did that. And the next time I played, I made sure that when I did the bar keep action, I only threw away duplicates. We again didn't get up to the maximum player count with this. We played a three-player game and many, many two-player games of this. And I felt that the game was more tactical with two players. And I felt that I almost don't want to play this game with four players. And I will tell you why. Tell me why. If you have four players, for three turns, you have no control over that wagon at all. There is very likely to be, if you wanted to double back and go somewhere, there's very likely to be three... It could be three pieces of road of different colours and you've got to pay to each one of the the owners to get back along the road if they've really taken you off on a on somewhere you really don't want to be. And you've got no control. Now with two players it's boom boom back and forth. You've never you never push too far out of control. You've always got a general control over your what you're building, how you're building it. You're going to have longer, continuous roads with your characters on them. And you can think about building those continuous roads as a good scoring. I think of four players, there's going to be less of that final scoring. And it's going to be kind of zero-sum. You almost know who's won before the game ends because the person who is 
turned over the most carriages and is further along the track. You throw in the gold nuggets that might change things if it's close. But generally, there's not going to be that much points involved in the long road, I feel. And I just feel that I've got more control and I can think and plan my moves a lot better with two players than three and four. I think maybe this is where we differ because I quite like to play with four players. I'd like to give it a go. And we've got friends coming in a couple of weeks and I think they're far enough along their gaming journey that they could play this with not that much I think they could. I say I don't want to play with four. That's, That's wrong. I'd like to see if my thoughts are correct with four players I'd, like to I'd see quite it, like to see it with but four. I have very strong reservations about this with four players and it's one of the few games that are two to four players that I think actually works better in my mind at two players because I certainly felt a little bit frustrated at three players would that have anything to do with the fact that you beat me continuously when we play the two player game because you're not mean enough we've talked about this I'm trying to be meaner and the last time I was mean you cried I did but and it's not nice seeing a six foot man Six foot, five, six foot, six foot, six You're foot, five, five inches off me there. Jeez, That's nuts. what happens when you cried. You lost height. <laughs> so let's go on to the look of the game. Yes, it is very queen. <laughs> it's very yellow. It's very yellow, which is not a bad thing. That's my uh, colour. Are we happy? Yeah. Queen always give you a strong build quality on boards, components. I tell you what, I didn't like. I say that now that Queen is always very strong component wise, but. There's a the way the sort of backing of the board folds over to give it sort of that sort of leathery feel on the back. They haven't matched up the roads, uh, the edge of the board, and the design at the edge of the board with the obviously sort of the sticker that goes over. That irritates me a little bit. Okay. Uh, if it's just off kilter a little bit, it's just slightly askew, and it, I'm just going to get some masking tape. Just it irritates just, me. I'd rather that. I'd rather someone got a bit of electric tape and just covered it over. I'm going to do that because I can't <laughs> handle. I cannot handle this right now. But in general, Queen always quite strong. Nice wooden components. The cardboard is is thick enough so you can actually pick it up without losing a fingernail. And the iconography in the game very easy to read. The rule book was a fairly easy read. I didn't have any problems with it. Even your player board tells you exactly what to do, A, B, and C. Here's your here's your options. You know what you're getting with a queen game, I find. I find that, you know, nine times out of ten, you're getting a very well, well thought out, well designed game that leads you where you need to be to have a decent go at the game. I do like the fact that the player board is like, this is phase one, this is phase two, this is phase three. And the iconography is there to help you. So you kind of never really lose your way. It is a very simple game. There are there isn't a lot to do. But but summing up before the end. You're giving the gold away. I'm not. This is the new way of doing things. Just go with it. Should we just say this is your summation? Yeah, let's let's Is that the right word? Summary, summation? I don't know. I feel like I'm in a court of law. Anyway, it's the bit that where I tell you what I think. Uh, now I've lost my train of thought. It's a road game, not a train game. Oh my god, you have literally just made the most dad joke that has ever been made. Oh yeah, yeah, Maxature, you can go and that wasn't a joke. Jump in a lake, love. That wasn't a joke. That is a technical term, and I think you'll find everyone will be using it this time next year if they are slightly simple. <gasps> Maxature. It doesn't even roll off the tongue. It's horrible. It's clunky. I tell you, seriously, no one appreciates my genius. Anyway, back to this game. There's not a lot to do. 
There was not a lot of choices to make. However, when you get to the nitty gritty, <laughs> you're trying to eke out that last point. Like you can get some serious AP going on. I like it. It's cool. Okay, so for me, I would say in vast swathes of this game, it's nothing groundbreaking. Good, solid game is the thing that kind of comes out. Now, there are two things that just push it a little bit past that for me. The pioneers themselves, I like that they've all got these individual things, so you can aim at different pioneers if you need certain things. If you want to increase your bank balance, you you aim for the banker, but you've got to time it just right so it's you that gets the banker and not somebody else. And I like that. And it's the randomization, and they're all going to be in different places, and sometimes you really want to go straight for a banker, but he's at the far side of the board. It's like, oh, God, so you've got to rethink what you're actually going for and what you've got on your board so everybody starts missing one character so it's always nice to look and see what that character is for the other person so maybe you can stick them in the middle of those two characters so that they can't move that brings me on to the second aspect that i think just pokes its nose above the mediocre is that sort of backstabby slightly mean actions that you can do i'd love to see the likes of ronan hasn't played this one i'd like to see him get his hands on this someone like lloyd some of the london on board crew where they can just gamify a little bit now i we might find that they break it and they decide actually no it's it's too light for them because he's on the edge of being too light but i think there's just enough there that just makes it interesting for me and I'm glad I have it in my collection. Glad I finally got to play it. I can't remember if we said that there was a treasure or a trap. I've I've got a vague recollection that I think I said it was a treasure. I hope I did. I hope I was right because Pioneers is a treasure for me. I I enjoy it. It's a thumbs up. That's Pioneers from Queen Games. Now, here's the biggie. This is our big review of the day, and it's it's so far up your alley. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they should have just called it Natalie's game, shouldn't they? It really Literally, he's living in a dustbin. It's <laughs> it's shouting at Officer Dibble as he goes by. He's got oh, a friend called Benny. No I spoilers. He's <laughs> like, very Natalie. Post-apocalyptic. Post-apocalyptic. Space-agey time travel. Worker placement. Euro analysis paralysis. Let's roll, babies. So this is an acronym. And it was published in 2017 by Mind Clash Games, and they're known for producing Trickerian. It's designed by David Turtsey. Turtsey, a friend of ours from London. On friend board, of the podcast. Lobster, we see David down at LobsterCon when we go down yep. to Eastbourne. Richard Aman and Victor Peter. It's for one to four players, and it's an up to two hours playtime. So, as we've said, the setting is post-apocalyptic Earth in the 26th century, and you're playing one of four available factions that each have their own strengths and weaknesses. The game is played over four rounds, with a catastrophic event occurring in round four, which changes the options available to you. And it's a standard worker placement game, with an interesting twist or two, which I will come on to. So I'm going to start with the playing area. You have your own personal player board and a leader card, which will give you your starting tiles and bonus power. There is also a communal board where the majority of the gameplay takes place, and that's where you're going to select your actions. There's a time travel tracker beneath and a set of special projects also beneath this main central board. I'm going to stress that this is for the base game. We've only played the base game. We have variations, and that brings in more options for gameplay. And you can bet your bottom dollar I'll be unpacking them as soon as i've got time is that a spoiler yes you've ruined it again i haven't i think the fact that we'd already 
at the top said that this was right up my alley. There's no spoilers. Anyway, moving swiftly on. A round is made up of several phases. You will select the amount of mech suits you will power. And this is the only way you can visit the capital city because it's, you know dystopian it's it's absolutely destroyed and you can only go in there with your mech suits the next phase is you will ask for not two items from the future now you must pay this back further along or there will be penalties and again i'll come on to that in a bit you will send your workers out in the mech suits to get resources to get more people to construct buildings for your factions there's an area where you can just go and pick up some of the currency which is water and then when these are done you get your workers back exhausted unless otherwise stated and to have your workers available again for your next round you will either need to spend the currency of the game as i said water or take a morale hit and that also has implications for scoring in the game and for end of game conditions there are four ordinary rounds when you're sending your workers out, getting your resources, etc., until a catastrophic event all but destroys the capital city. And in the following three rounds after that, the capital city's actions can only be used once before they are blocked. And then the actions also have a bonus associated with them. And during these three rounds, you will try to fulfil the evacuation criteria for your city um, to gain points. And the game finishes either in the seventh round or when all of the actions in the capital city have been used for the final time and are blocked. The scoring comes from the buildings you've constructed in your city, uh, bonus cards, evacuation status and your position on various tracks on the player board. I'm just going to come back to one of the things that I think make this game so interesting. And this is requesting the naught two items from the future. So you will then request these items. You will get them but you have to keep track of them. As you move along the game, you will need to, to roll a dice to see if there's a paradox which will open a rift. If it opens a rift, you will need to deal with that by sacrificing various resources and people. I like that mechanic, and that's, a, that's an interesting one that I just wanted to pick up on. I think that's as concise as I can make this game, and I've probably missed huge portions of it. Well, this is just going on. There's lots going on, but this is just the base game. We have the pretty game. <laughs> I shelled out... I shelled out for the exosuit expansion. So I've got the little miniatures, which are, they're nice. They are nice. They They are are nice. nice. Can I, can I carry on? Because it's going to be fairly obvious that I just, I love this game as I gush my way through the review. Spoiler. Go on. The components are great. As I say, it's, it's very well made. We do have the exosuit expansion. They're, you know, they're a good weight. They're a good size. You know, they're different enough for each of the factions, you know, solid board components. You've yeah. got your little resources, you've got your yeah. water teardrops. The only slight component issue, I think the water drops are very, very small. I don't know if we got a Kickstarter copy because we bought it at the UK Games yeah. Expo, but the game that we had came with, you have the option of cardboard resources or the sort of plastic flashy resources with the cubes and the and the little crystals for the water. Mm. So... the. The water crystals are very small and very and very tiny. They can almost you can almost blow them off the table. Mm. So they they were a little bit fiddly for me with my giant shovel hands, <laughs> and that that was that was my only one quibble. But the the exosuits are just they're they're so nice. They're so good to just plonk them on the table. Absolutely. There you go. And to have the well. little slot for the, the your yes, workers to fantastic. go in the top. That's cool. And I like the artwork. I like the artwork on it as well. Yeah, the artwork is so it's thematic. It's you know, I just I I love it. I love it. Oh (laughs) my god, you're not coming back anymore. I can't help myself. Listen, though, we just hear the joy in my voice. Pretend you didn't hear us say we don't know how I felt about this game. 
She, she might hate you. No, she doesn't. Right, so let's break down the game. Now, there are lots of things going on, okay? And that's one of the things I like. You start off where you don't really have any options. On your own player board, you've got a couple. Your main resource in this game is people, okay? So you've got the four different types of people. You've got the engineer, you've got the scientist. The administrator and the genius. And the genius, which is kind of a... It can work wild as card. any of them, wildcard one. And your resources, basically, when they go and work for you, nine times out of ten, they're going to fall asleep and they're tired, so they have to be sort of, I don't know what you're going to do, give them water, I think, to, to wake them up again and so that they can work again. So that's, that's your resource in it. That's your economy going on. You've got the building your own tableau aspect. So as I said, you don't have a lot of spaces on your own tableau to place those workers at the beginning. But then slowly you're going to build and you're going to bring buildings and and things into your tableau. And then all of a sudden your options change and the game evolves. You've obviously got the communal places where you're you're racing to get to the good ones. And there's, there's ones that cost you stuff and there's ones that don't. Then you've got the additional economy and the resource of powering the exosuits. So you've always got to make sure you've got those that power to send the exosuits out because you can't send the worker out without an exosuit into the main board area because it's a hazardous wasteland. And then you're thinking about water. Don't run out of water because that's a bad thing. Then the board is going to change once the meteorite hits and there's going to be a, a massive boon which is going to be followed by the board closing up. And... Sorry if I'm confusing everyone, but that's I was trying to get across that the game has loads of options, but there's an arc to those options. It definitely almost tells a story, but it doesn't overwhelm from the beginning. It changes, and you're constantly evolving with the game. And I haven't even mentioned going to the future yet. No, but it makes sense, doesn't it? I think it's such a it's such a design game that actually yes there are lots of options and there's lots of things to be taking into consideration but because of the way the game is designed and you do start off with not having a lot of things to do at the beginning the game cleverly pulls you along so that actually you're not kind of just bombarded with all of these things it makes sense within the gameplay and within the theme and the storyline yeah and i think the sort of there's not like a lot of backstory or it's not text heavy the theme but what what story they do give you it kind of drives the game along and you know why you're doing things now going back to the borrowing things from the future but having to repay them without that theme that would be a really tedious mechanic because you basically be borrowing something that you have to hand back later. Mm. So they'll say to you, "So I'm okay. I'm taking two coal, and I know by the end of the game, if I don't if I don't pay back two coal, then something bad might happen to me." This one, the might is good because you have got the dice. You might get away with it. You might not. Eventually, you're going to get caught up with those anomalies, and they're going to block up your player board if you push it too much. But the fact that you're, you're in your mind, somebody, you from the future, or your team from the future has sent you back stuff, but they they don't have that stuff now, so they need it back. At some stage, they're lending it to you effectively, so you've got to get it back to them, otherwise they're going to suffer. So I like the theming of that, and it makes that mechanic, which could be quite boring, much more interesting. I love that mechanic. I love it. It's a little bit of a twist 
on a, a loan mechanic. Yeah. And I really like games. I've talked about it before, where you build up your own sort of tableau in front of you. You end up with something unique. You're building something that is yours, and you're trying to chain things together, and you've got to be very careful because something we haven't talked about are super projects. Every every round there's a super project available and that's like a double room almost in your in your sort of player tableau. If you put that somewhere then you don't have room for some of the other stuff you might want to build. So you've got to really think about where you're putting things, what you're going for. Be very mindful of how you're tailoring your go. Especially because some of your evacuation criteria will be dependent upon how many of a certain type of buildings that you build. Often so. And there's another thing to be mindful of you don't have to the evacuation criteria but But it's points it's points and it can be massive points if you're able to accrue enough of the thing that you you are supposed to accrue whether that's loads of water whether it's loads of certain workers or what have you then again it's something to be mindful of do you go for points within the game structure itself or do you sort of just build up for that massive points hit towards the end and even how quickly you do that at the end matters. Because if you're the first out, you, you you get the full bonus. But if you're the last out, you're going to get a hit. On, you get a hit, don't yeah. you? You get minus three get, points. Yeah, you get minus. So, it, again, the timing of when you go out, do you want to wait for that last point on the in the game? Or do you want to get out and not get the minus points? So this this it sounds like it's a really confusing game where there's lots going on. It takes a bit to learn. Yes. It's a big old rule book. How did you find the rule book? Because you learned this one for us, Natalie. There was nothing in that rule book. I, I can't remember it, which means there was nothing in that rule book that made me want to kill people. Very unusual for you. It was very it? unusual. I normally want to just, just lay waste. Just text makes you want to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually, the rule book did a very good job of explaining what we needed to do. There was, obviously you go back and you clarify, but there were no kind of glaring omissions there was nothing where we sat there and we thought well that's not covered by the rules in the book which to me is a successful rule book and I think things were laid out in a very logical fashion so it made sense the way it was laid out I didn't sit there and think why is that section there there's no way it should be there so actually the rule book did its job and did its job well I mean it also helped that there's some fantastic playthrough videos available on YouTube that we watched to really just get a feel for the game. And, it, you know, it's a big old game as well. I mean, we've got a big table. Yeah, and a shout-out to Slicker Drips, who we, we watched his video, and uh, he always makes things really clear. Yeah. So thank you to him for his video on this one. And it just makes the rule book a little bit easier to, to decipher. If, you've, if you haven't got the time to actually get the game out... It's very difficult to read a rule book and see, oh, that's that and that's that. But when somebody does a nice run through, when you're reading the rule book, you remember, oh, yeah, that's what he was doing there. Yeah. So. No, it's great. It was great to have the, that resource available. And it's a big old game. It takes up some serious area on a table. It does. It and that's does. just the base game. So I've mentioned that we've just played the base game, which has an amazing amount of options as we've yeah, tried and probably failed to cover. But because I got the exosuit pack, which is beautiful and you should buy it. <laughs> because we have the exosuit pack, it comes with a couple more variations. The ways of playing it within the box, just the base box itself, you can flip over the time track and that changes the game. So lots of things to explore. And you can also play it solo. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, 
you know, I forget how much there is to talk about. I do feel that there's a lot of replayability, even in just the base game, because you are, you have four different factions, which will be concentrating on different things. You've got that huge stack of buildings and you're not going to, you're not going to build the same tableau twice. No, and there are so many things that you you need to concentrate on. It's a juggling act, but you're always going to drop some of the balls. So you, it's just the way, the nature of the beast in this instance. So, yeah, it's just it's just learning from each game and sort of the first time I played it, I didn't have enough power for my exosuits. And you spanked your power quite yeah, early, didn't so you? so you only get a, a certain amount that you can get out without having to spend power and then you're, you're relying on power and power sort of dissipates as the game goes on more and more. And when you have the catastrophic event that happens after round four, some of your mech power suit... Um, spaces are blocked off because of the catastrophe so actually you then only have one free mech suit space instead of three so you have one free mech suit space and then the other three you have to pay for so as you go into those last rounds after the catastrophe you need to make sure that you're planning to have those power packs you either have a mechanism by what you've built in your tableau or you you haven't used your power at the beginning or you've got some way of getting it on the board so, I mean, there's so much. I mean, I'm just sitting here remembering parts of the game, and that's a good sign that we think, ah, oh, yeah, that was good as well. And the thing that's just sprung to my mind is the fact that the workers are good at certain actions. So there's there's a reason there are four different types of worker, because uh, you get a bonus or some sort of boon for sending the correct worker to. So and it all makes sense. If you send the engineer to the mine, he comes back awake and ready to work again. He can do that with his eyes closed. If you send like the administrator to a certain one, they get extra staff. The scientist will get a bonus in scientific actions. The genius makes sense because the genius can come do anything. They're, they're excellent at anything, so that's your catch-all. And it's planning to have those workers because you only start off with a certain amount and you're bringing in some of those workers as you go along. And he's planning, right, I'm going to need an administrator, a scientist, and two engineers for the next round. So I need to make sure that they're awake and ready to go. Otherwise, I've got to buy them, and that's going to cost me. And it's it's, it's all that planning with your workers. No, I agree. It's also thinking about triggering that awake action. So there is an action on your board, which we've mentioned, where you have to awaken your exhausted workers. You want to wait until as many are asleep. Yeah, you, uh, you want you want to have ex- you want to have used most of them up because you don't want to. It, it's expensive to wake them up. Yeah, you lose a lot of water. It's at least at the beginning. It's at least five, and it raises quite quickly as you work up. There's a, a track below where you wake them up. The action to wake them up, and you go up the morale track, which can be a trigger for your evacuation criteria, and it can also be on the bonus cards. So you know you want to go up it the amount of water you have to spend to wake them up increases as you go up it. So for very quickly you go from five to seven to nine and water is tight. Mm-hmm. Everything is tight in this game. There is not an easy route to getting any of your resources. Yeah. 
and it's all of these things you have to think about and you are going to have to sacrifice some things. Absolutely. So I don't know how coherent our review because I think we've kind of been just gushing about this game and sometimes it. when you gush, I don't like this and I like that and I, like, and I think we've been a little bit like that with this but I think hopefully that Sorry, gives man. you a feel that <laughs> we really enjoy the game. I did want to mention one yeah, more thing absolutely. because I feel like we've really only briefly touched on the time travel aspect which is the thing that really tickled my fancy because in any media, in any fictional media, I find it very difficult to swallow time travel. I think it's it's not very well done at all as a fictional concept because you get all tied up into Knox's paradoxes. This is the first time where I've encountered time travel and it's worked. It's made sense. And I can't heap enough praise on the designers for doing that. You have to fulfil what you've asked for, otherwise you set up a paradox which has very real consequences. And what you have to do is kind of travel back in time yourself to fulfil those. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that I was really pleased that time travel was dealt with in such a way that it still makes sense to me and doesn't break my brain. Okay, cool. Right, I'm going to sum up on anequity. So, Anachrony, it has a wonderful table presence, especially with those exosuits, but even without them, the artwork and the sprawling nature of the game brings people in. And the fact that there are so many options and you see people just scratching your head, you want to know what's going on. When you do dive into it, I don't think it's overwhelming because, as I said, your your options evolve as the game evolves. You start off with a certain amount of options on the board and a very limited options on your own player board. Uh, very quickly, the board stays the same, and but your options on your player board are somewhat similar to something like Orléans, where you're getting more and more powers that you can use come into play. So you, your options grow, and your need for workforce grow, and then your need for water grows. So you're, it's, it's all linked together, and I like that. And when the, when the player board changes, you're well into the game, and then the options will change when the meteorite hits the earth. Then your options are going to change, but you're so far into the game at that stage that you understand it, and you understand what, where the changes are coming from. So I like the arc of this game. The theming of the game is really important in, the, in this aspect, because it is a good game. There's lots going on. But I think the theming is key to making sure that you understand why it's going on and why it's happening. And we did go on at length about the time travel aspect, but the fact that it makes sense helps you understand that mechanism within the game, and everything else as well makes a lot of sense. You are not on railroads in this game. You can very much choose your own path whether you stick to the, the vague guidelines given to you by your faction at the beginning, or whether you just branch out and do your own thing. There are lots of options, there are lots of paths to go down and explore. Mind Clash are a company that like to give you things to add in. They, they did it a little bit with Trickerian, they had the dark alleys that you could add in once you were familiar with the game, and they've done it to a greater extent with this there's things within the base box you can do and as natalie said you've got those excellent suits that are not just pretty they bring with them their own expansion that involves the game and yes yeah, lots of things to explore as you go on so for me anachrony is a very strong game it's a very thought-provoking game and the fact that it all makes sense and it all ties together almost seamlessly for me a great achievement in designing we see th people like Friedman Fries pulling things together with lots of aspects to them, but not always interesting and not almost thematic and not always a game that 
particularly me per, per se, wants to play. These guys have pulled lots of aspects together in Anachrony, and they've done it in a way that is still is fun to play, and it's still something that I'm excited to play. I'm not knocking Friedman Freeze, he's done some fantastic games, but I'm just thinking 504, things like that. Things that felt like projects, because there's so many aspects to them. But this in itself almost feels like a project, but they've added the fun factor in as well. So that's my thoughts on Anachrony. It's no surprise that I love this game. This is do crazy. you? Yeah, I know. I'll tell it's you a what, shock. You, I, you kept I was that under your I, hat. I was on the edge. I was. I was on the edge, and I know that people out there will be aghast. They'll just be flabbergasted. They will. They'll be like, "Oh my god, I never knew." I really wanted to sing Lady Gaga the edge there. I really wanted Did to. Did you? Yeah. Don't. I'm on the edge of glory. And you did. Okay, then, moving swiftly on. This is one of my favourite games of all time at the moment. I would play this game non-stop if I were allowed to. I'm not stopping you. I love a Euro. <laughs> this flies in the face of normally everything that I enjoy about a Euro. I like a dry Euro. I couldn't give two hoots about a thing normally. It's like, yeah, whatever. It's bits of wooden cubes I move about the board. This has just completely upended this, you know, and I'm going to echo quite a lot of what Sean has said because the theme is so integral to this game and really helps you make your decisions, make your choices. It helps you in the learning of the game that it really is a kind of tour de force. I don't think, and I'm willing to be corrected if I'm wrong, but I don't think I've ever encountered a game that has done this in quite as masterful a way, to be honest with you. You know, I, I have played an awful lot of Euros and I the theme hasn't made an impression upon me. It, it would just be, oh, we're in another Italian city or, oh, we're moving some more wooden cubes about the board. That's not the case with this one. It's all tied up there in my brain that this is the time travel. It makes sense and it's just fantastic. On top of that, you have these mechanisms that are tried and tested that everybody knows. The tweaks that I enjoy, the waking up the workers, the time travel mechanism, the powering of the mech suits. I could wax lyrical for hours because I love this game. It is an absolutely fantastic game. And if you like Euros in any way, shape or form, you should go and buy this game. Right, Natalie, thank you for that. I'm going to put you on the spot. Put me on the spot. We're going to do a top three of the episode. Oh, so oh, I'm I wonder start. what. Well, we know. I think we know what's going to be number one. But I'm, I'm going to let you have a little think about all six games, and don't just think about them. Like think about them for the audience they're intended for as yeah, well. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to start on, and I found it very difficult. I was just while Natalie was summing up there, I was trying to put my top three in, in order in my head. Oh, I, so you've had more time than oh, I yeah, have. Yeah, oh, course, fantastic! Yeah, yeah, so I'm going to sound like a wittering idiot, as opposed to. <sighs> Ooh. Okay, that's double divorce papers. Well then. The, the, the printer ink is going to get a work in in this house tonight. Jeez. Right, so... Someone's Larry. They are, they are. I, I apologise profusely as soon as the microphone is off. <laughs> and my number three, Outfoxed, I'm writing that off. Yeah. I'm writing Blackwood off. Yeah. And the other four games... I really enjoy all of them for different reasons. You know what? I'm going to say Thanos Rising is my number three. Oh, Stuffed Fables is my number three. My number two is Stuffed Fables. My number two is Pioneers. My number one is Anachrony. My number one is Thanos. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's Anachrony, isn't it? Yeah, it's Anachrony. So the reason I didn't put Pioneers in there, personally, I enjoy it, but the fun that we have as a family with Stuffed Fables 
and Thanos Rising, I think it just eclipses the fun that I personally have with Pioneers. Fair so I think maybe Thanos Rising its star is at its sort of summit of its brightness at the moment. Yes. I think that will wane, and I think Pioneers will probably long term would definitely be the game that stays with me longer. Yeah, especially as the boy really enjoyed King of Tokyo and Ink and Gold today, so... Yes. Ink and Gold and King of Tokyo will be winging their way to a household near this one very soon, I'm sure. So this household. Even though I got rid of King of New York, because we didn't particularly like it. No. Well, it, just, it was just a bit too meh for us. But yeah. The boy likes it. What the boy likes. The boy likes, likes it, yes. So, yes. So, Anachrony, the big winner for the episode. And so good. Yes, dear. We will see you in the outro. So, there you have it. Six games reviewed. One of them gushed over. We'll have to wipe the dribble off it later. Sorry. Stop licking. I would if I could, but I can't, so I shan't. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you very much for having me, I hope. So, thank you for stepping into the breach. There's a big breach to step into. There is is a big breach. But less about Ronan's head. (laughs) So, yes, what's coming up on the game pit soon? Again, I mean, we keep apologising. I'm getting bored of apologising for us not being around. We've both been on holiday. I've been to Shearwood Forest in Ireland. We have a small baby. We have a small baby, well, but yeah. small. Small is not the definition no, I would no, use. He's, he's, a, he's a unit. He's an absolute unit. So, yeah. So, various things. I, I I jumped out of a tree in Shearwood Forest and hurt my back. Yay me. This man is 43 years old. You would be forgiven for thinking he's 12. It was Shearwood Forest. Oh, I was excited. I got up the tree... I couldn't get down from the you tree. You couldn't get down from the tree. I was stuck in said tree. <laughs> you were kind of perched there with James looking up at you going, Daddy, are you coming down? No, so, no, I am not. <laughs> jumped down, hit a root on the way down, twisted me back, had two miles to walk with a bad bag. <laughs> not good. Anyway, and Ronan has, as we said, been celebrating his 40th. He's been in Ireland. He's been doing various things. So and we do shift work and it's very hard. I and mean, you're getting bored of us saying this, but it is very hard and we do our best. But we have got some time coming up soon. As I said, Essen is coming up. We're going to be doing as many of our Essen treasure hunts as we can fit in. We're going to be scouring rule books for you and trying to give you a good overview of some of the delights and maybe not quite so delightful. Can I review the there. rule books? I think you should have a review the rule book section. Think, and you just have me. Come on. I think Ronan kind of does that anyway. Ronan's a bit of a rule book fiend. I have more panache. You, you you have a lot more, let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> and myself and Ronan, we have six games lined up for you. We shall be recording that in the very near future. So there's going to be another picking over the bones. Our good friend Adam is going to join us for a vault episode, hopefully soon. And Poria may be on board for an episode where we're going to look at the new Brass games that have just come out from Roxley Games. You've got Brass Lancashire and Brass Birmingham. Uh, we will be looking at both of those and comparing them. Natalie's getting very excited. They're lovely. They are very pretty. 
Uh, if you want to see how pretty they are, go and have a look at Ronan's overview on Brass Lancashire on YouTube now on our YouTube channel. So, yes, uh, thank you all for listening. And hopefully we will catch you all very soon. As always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to email us, we are thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. We have our Board Game Geek Guild. Pop along there if you can ask us questions or start up topics. We're always happy to chime in. We also have our social media sites. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter, at Game Pit Podcast. And we're also on Instagram, when myself or Natalie can remember to send put photos up there. If you wish to download the episodes, we are on Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. And, of course, we do have our YouTube channel, so pop along there for our pit stop videos and occasional coverage of events. So, again, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Music by E. Aaron. please boy girl girl oh you've ruined it i haven't you have bring some galatarianness to to the game pit podcast don't say words i don't know what they mean you know anything over two syllables is banned it means something good don't worry i just said syllable